page doing a Patreon shout out to our new patrons, Donna and Lindsay, as well as our recurring patrons, Kirsten, Brian, Taya, Alex, Janelle, Morgie, and Unwoman. Thank you all so much. And if you are not currently subscribed to our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash isatransphobic to do that. Yay! Hey, folks, so we uh, recorded this via Zoom as well as a new thing called squadcast.fm. Uh, it works. It's great. It's just uh, for this particular recording, it didn't work so well. So there are going to be moments where the audio is all over the place. I did my best, y'all. I really did. Um, but yeah, there, there are just some moments where literally because of the internet, Silas just fell off the face of the planet. So <laughs> we figured it out. We made it work. Uh, but yeah, thank, thank you so much for listening. Is It Transphobic? We'll be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, my name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns, and I am the creator and producer of the Is It Transphobic podcast. And today I'm being joined by... Um, Silas Barrett, and I use he, him pronouns. And I'm uh, Vivian Aladrin, and I use uh, she, or they pronouns. So before we get into the discussion of this movie, which is Dallas Buyers Club, which for a lot of listeners might seem not necessarily like a weird choice. Like it's very clear why we're discussing it, but why now does anyone even remember this fucking movie? Uh, and like this Academy Award, I forget if it won or nominated, but I know a series of things won from this movie. There are a series of people won from this movie Academy Awards. Uh, but this is the movie that got me to start this podcast. Um, I'm just going to mention really quickly I was in a heated argument with someone because I refused to see this movie because I did not want to give it my money. I did not want to hand my money. I did not want, not want to hand my attention to it. But I hated the way that Jared Leto was portraying the character, not necessarily on film because I hadn't seen it, but just the way that he had been presenting himself in connection to the character. And I had about a two maybe three hour phone argument with a friend who said i have no basis of being able to argue about this movie because i haven't seen it yet and i just want to throw out there two people the reason that i started this podcast is so that i can have a reason to see it so that you don't necessarily have to that has always been the tagline <laughs> um but but ultimately it puts a a huge a huge onus of bullshit on marginalized people to have to consume all of the media that has such clear bullshit about their identity. There's too much. It would cost too much money and it would take too much time. I have time. There's only so much time I have in the world. I'd like to fill it with things that are enjoyable. And as much as the whole podcast is me watching a whole bunch of crap with my friends <laughs> that is potentially unenjoyable it's it at least gives me that power so that when i can say all right 
I've seen this. I can talk about it. And you, dear listener, can listen to it. So I wanted to bring Vivian and Silas back because uh, you've been contributors since the start. You've been people that I've turned to. Uh, we've been doing this for about four years this month when we released this episode in September. And I want to say thank you to the listeners. And I want to say thank you to all the contributors who have ever been on the show. So let's talk about Dallas Buyers Club now. <laughs> First, first and foremost, all the triggers, all the goddamn yes. triggers, everything you thought you knew about this movie, you were right. And then there's more. There's, yeah, the, the transphobia is there from the characters. It's enacted on other characters, uh, but it's also just that kind of transphobia where it's tucked under oh it's actually homophobia but that's because they don't know what to do with someone who presents in a way that is not stereotypical um to one gender or another uh and yes so look up triggers for this movie there are so many that i just don't even feel like sitting down and listing them uh but look them up before you continue to consume this podcast and before you decide to watch that movie that said, had you either of you seen this movie before we went into the podcast? It's my first time. Uh, first time. First time on that rodeo. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> very, very on brand. Very on brand. Uh, yeah, I, it was my first time too. I definitely avoided it. As, as you said, for all the reasons that I knew, and then there were more reasons that I was glad I did until now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So this movie, I, I have to say, because I tried to, as much as I'm trashing it, as much as I'm like, oh, all this, all this, I really wanted to like this movie. I went in wanting to like it. I remember talking to a different friend about this movie because I refused to see it. So I was like, why are people praising Jared Leto? Why are people pr praising his portrayal of, uh, now I can't remember the name, uh, of Rayon. Rayon why and i actually had to coax it out of a friend because uh this was a friend that i respected their opinion on and they basically said they were like well you don't actually want to know you just want to be mad and it's like no i respect your opinion i am asking you why people care what is it about this help me and what this friend said to me was that the portrayal of someone who is going through uh, having AIDS, being HIV positive, and then having AIDS and then dying from another disease, uh, which it, it was the thing that really drew this friend of mine into the character and into the world of this film. And as much as we are going to talk about a lot of the specifics now having watched it, I respect that opinion, even though I did not get the same thing from this movie. Mm -hmm. At least from from Rayon, and that's really mean. Uh, I also did not grow up like I grew up as a child during the AIDS crisis. I did not know a lot going on, but at the same time, the movie, in my opinion, the movie itself didn't do a great job with Rayon. But I really dug the way that they dealt with uh, Woodruff, Matthew McConaughey's character, in the first act. <laughs> Yeah, um, 
I have to, I have to, I have to put my, my cards on the table uh, before we continue. Uh, mm-hmm. I had two very specific misconceptions, or like not misconceptions, but two very specific things that were going through my mind when I started watching this movie that really softened a lot of it for me. Which was one, the last movie that I've seen that was in relation to the AIDS crisis uh, was the film adaptation of Rent. Mm. Which was a worse movie. That's my hot take. <laughs> it was just a worse movie. Sorry. Um, and the other misconception is that I didn't realize that it was made in 2013. I mm. thought, like, watching it, it felt like it was like an early 2000s movie. And I was going to be like, well, okay. Like, uh, the straights don't really get trans stuff. It was like a good attempt to try to, like, bring more color to the table metaphorically speaking like uh, but it's like 2013 i'm just i don't know like i mean that times article didn't come out yet Uh, it's just it's just weirder and it's also like aesthetically that's the film strikes me as very early 2000s and i'm not like a cinephile so like i could be completely dead wrong on this but it just felt like you know way older a movie than it actually ended up being hmm. so yeah and yeah. then i guess the, oh, sorry and then i guess the third misconception sorry the secret third one was that i actually was trying to give it the benefit of the doubt because as soon as i found out that it was like historical like it was like a history piece because ron woodruff was a real person uh i was like oh well then you know if they had to t- if they had to deal with a real life trans person like they're they're dead in the water like <laughs> you know they're not going to handle that well um but no Rayon is isn't real she was made for the movie so cool mm-hmm. great <laughs> love that for us mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I wonder, because Silas, one of the things that you had mentioned that you had focused on when uh, talking about the movie was a lot more of the real-life historical uh, things that were going on and about the the real life of what was happening. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So uh, aside from knowing about, you know, sort of the kerfluffle about Jared Leto playing the part and hearing a little bit about that when the movie came out, the other thing that I really had to be in my bonnet about is the fact that Ron Woodruff was not straight. He was bi and he didn't talk about oh. it a lot. He clearly had some stuff, but um, they just changed him to be straight and altered his character quite a bit. And watching it, it's so clear to me that they were like, how do we make this the straight male hero, anti-hero type that, the straight people will come see the movie for. And so that to me, like before we even get to any issues of transphobia, the homophobia of that and the biphobia of that really just Mm. made, you know, now it becomes this sort of like the straight guy in the hero of a crisis that, you know, certainly straight people and all people belong Mm. to this. Lots of, you know, it was not just, but it was primarily focused on the queer community. And to sort of start off before you even have a chance to give the film the benefit of that, with that erasure, just really for me, threw me completely out of it. And I it was it was I wasn't able to come to the film really with a a kindly <laughs> eye at that point. Um, yeah, it's also um, not the kind of like trope that I enjoy ever. 
And like, it wasn't even like making him straight. Like they said that he was like a real cowboy, like he's portrayed in attitude, you know, like the cursing and the sort of like fly by night and all the sort of, you know, traveling to other places um, and the smuggling and stuff. But in, in sort of his portrayal, like he didn't dress that way in the sort of the 10 gallon hats and the rodeo look like he was sort of looked like a buttoned up accountant, they said. And so there were a lot of things <laughs> about it that I was looking at and I was like, I could see the strings, you know, the sort of like, how do we make this movie for straight people, for Oscar bait and, and, and all of that? I mean, I'm, you know, we'll get into it as we go and we start to, to break it apart, but everything about it just screams this sort of conniving, you know, uh, taking away of the story from who it actually yeah. belongs to. Yeah, I, I will say it, it absolutely, because that, I did not have that knowledge going in. And so a lot of my criticism of the film, and keep, and keep in mind, like the film, because they have made the choice to do this, is still like all of the criticism I have is absolutely still applicable. At the exact same time, it's like, oh, a lot of my like, why is the cis straight dude the one that's like saving everybody. Why is this happening? What? Oh, I'm so glad the cis straight dude lived. Uh, but at the same time, it's just like, oh, if in real life this guy was, even if he was like bi and like on the down low or however it needed to be, um, like as, even if he was just like a part of it, I would have felt a lot better about it. Like there was a point where they mentioned like, oh, there was a bunch of, and I'm not going to swear, uh, I'm not going to necessarily use slurs on here, but like, I'll just say like F slur, uh, like, oh, a bunch of the F slurs in New York were doing this. So I decided to do it myself. And it's just like, I'd much rather hear about these queer folks in New York who have figured out yes. this whole system. Their story. That what... book sounded fascinating. And oh, I can't remember what the, the name of it is. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And even like this desire to show us a morally gray character. And they went with the the most obvious simple trope of like guy who is homophobic and really racist. And they like, don't address that at all. He just drops a bunch of like super racist slurs and, and just moves on from there. And, but now he's become sort of like this anti-hero who's like helping the queer community and people who have AIDS and like anti-establishment, but like in a really basic sort of almost, you know, completely unnuanced way. In, in sort of like now he's like morally gray instead of what would actually be interesting is to watch someone who is part of the community but maybe conflicted about it. Someone who in real life, you know, there were all those buyers clubs and, and I believe it was the Dallas club and the Fort Lauderdale club were like the pirate cowboy clubs and everybody else was like, you are, you are going too far for us. And, you know, the, the conflict of actually everybody trying to tackle this problem and taking these risks because they had to that is a fascinating story and the, the struggle of everybody trying to help each other and even the point of these um some of the other activists i was reading uh, of the time are really upset about the way that the fda was portrayed in this film and actually that you know we're, we're talking about this idea that there were so many good people in the fda who were working with them who like listened to them who made changes with them and that they none none of what they were able to accomplish would have happened without those people and who were really upset that you know they were sort of just painted as these kind of like you know the government it's almost like it almost becomes like an anti-vaxxer story instead of like 
a story about, you know, the complexities of this struggle as intersection with like the conservatism of the FDA and, you know, queer phobia and all these ideas. It just becomes sort of like government doctors, bad racist cowboy man, good, but also he treats everyone around him terribly and we just kind of go with it. I mean, you bring up a lot of really interesting uh, things that I've, I've, I've been like quietly like ruminating on. And um, uh, I mean, I have it in my notes. Um, like pretty much the only note that I really made is that like D Dallas Buyers Club feels like angels in America for straight people. Like- Yeah, I can see that. Like that kind of like, um, you know, it, it felt very like, 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 um, pointed to be like, well, you know, we can't make big money uh, off of like a story about the gays. So, like, what if you know, we made it about a straight man? And it's interesting that you brought up that like Woodruff was actually like historically like bisexual because like it's not like they've scrubbed. Uh, queer identities and queer struggles completely out of the movie. Like, it's not like it was just about him and his medicine and the amount of times that he can, like, curse in front of the camera, um, which was a lot. Like, I was impressed. Uh, it was a lot. Um, uh, but it, it was weird in that it used queer bodies and queer identities in a way that was just... Um, I think uh, just very like objectifying, just very like, you know, look at the sad gay in the corner dying of AIDS. Woe be to him. Like, so I, in my notes at some point, like way later on, after I had already kind of like just said, fuck this movie. I wrote, uh, the queer people who should become the focus of the film are looked at with constant disdain by the protagonist as their community suffers. Queer people are all furniture to the Dallas Buyers Club writers and producers. Like, it's, we, they don't even get to be sexy lamps. Mm. They're just lamps. And I mean, I think that really is, is the thing for me, is, is to tell this story and have a character, uh, you know, like Rayon, who's an invented character, not, not someone historical. Um, and, and Rayon's partner who, I don't know if they even give a name for them or not. If they did, I didn't catch it because that person was completely ignored. And, and to have yeah, like the random that, blonde person. yeah, the blonde, the blonde person. Yes. Who was the one who was caring for Rayon when they were dying. I, mean, I don't know what pronouns to use for Rayon because the movie uses he the whole time. And that seems so obviously incorrect, but now I'm just making assumptions. I'm just going to, Admittedly, I'm probably just going to keep referring to Rayon as Rayon and not and try not I mean, to use pronouns. That but makes that's the best me. sense. Yeah, it's yeah. it's frustrating because you know Rayon doesn't have enough mm -hmm. of a voice in the film to tell us what pronouns would be preferred, and 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 we don't know anything about mm -hmm. that relationship. And even the moment after Rayon dies and their partner is there, you know, packing up their things in the hospital, and the movie's like, let's go talk about. Ron's feelings about that and this lady doctor and they can have a fight over who loved Rayon the most uh, based on one conversation that Rayon has with uh, um, Eve, the doctor, and the fact that Ron harasses and belittles Rayon the entire time. 
while, while we just ignore this person who I don't even, you know, I'm not even told who they are. They are implying that there was a, a, a certain amount of friendship and camaraderie and et cetera, et cetera, between Rayon and Woodruff, and they don't show it. And so they want to reap the benefits of, I really cared for this person. It's just like, you did not show me in film yeah. language that this happened. You were a dick to this person. You threatened to shoot off uh, Rayon's genitalia. You threatened, like, all of these things. Even the one moment where you're supposed to think that Woodruff is showing respect to Rayon is just to fuck with TJ, this, uh, the, this cop that he used to hang out with, where... And it's like, that's it. Just like he gets TJ in a chokehold and like forces TJ to shake Rayon's hand. And as much as like, oh, to someone outside of, I, I, don't, I don't know who this was supposed to, like, I just know that there are people that will look at that scene and say, oh, well, he's showing respect. Oh, he's, he's respecting Rayon. And no, he's yeah. fucking with TJ. And he's like, that's using what he's doing. Rayon as a tool. Like you know, and, and you know, mm -hmm. Rand sort of gives a little smile at the end, like "Thank you for the doing that nice thing to me." Chris is so uncomfortable. I personally would not like that if mm -hmm. someone did that on my behalf without asking. I would walk away. I would walk I right would, away. Yeah, yeah. You 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 fight about it all you want. I'm I'm not going to be like this guinea pig to prove to your friend that you can't catch queerness or whatever it is that you're doing. And that was really weird. I thought they were going for like a terrible man you know learns a lesson by experiencing the prejudice that this community experiences which is a trope that i don't like but they didn't even do that they basically just hung the entire hat of the movie on he got these people these drugs and the fda was mean to him trying to like live and get drugs and therefore we should care about him and i just don't Remember when he banged a chick in the shower? Yeah. Well, they had to. They had to remind us he was straight. Every time you were in danger of forgetting he was straight, there was porn. Ah. There were strippers. There was sex in the shower. They were like, "Don't, no, oh, God, we've gone like thirty minutes only talking about maybe things that could be gay." Quick, 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 boobs. Yeah. Oh wait, is he is he helping Ram with uh, with their injections? Uh, better follow that up with a masturbation scene where he's looking at like at at. Polaroids, I guess. Was that a thing that people didn't? I guess it was in the eighties. I don't. Uh, it was. It was a different time. Yeah, they they didn't have the <laughs> internet. Uh, like, yeah, I. And even then, like, there are so many moments where they literally could have, like, there are so many things, like tearing the pictures of these androgynous folks. I don't know how the the folks that are on the wall uh, identified, but like a lot of these androgynous folks off the wall, even if he had just put one back up, something. Give me something, movie. I'm begging you to give me something to show he is learning, and you are not. And I if mean, you don't care about that, then fine. But that's not. I'm not going to care about your protagonist. I mean, my biggest critique of the film, honestly, and I'm going to try to separate it from like the historical context because if we've you know removed itself as much as it already has been from history, then I think it might be better to assess this as a film. I think the biggest problem that I have uh, structurally with Dallas, uh, Dallas Buyers Club is that like the first half of it is set up as like a character drama of like this person who has all of these like bigotries that would have to through like trial by fire, you know, learn and empathize with people that he previously did not learn and empathize with. And, you know, that's what we all like 
thought of going in and you know that's kind of a tired trope you know it plays into like using queer bodies and queer identities as like tools to help straight people gain more uh, pathos and and empathy so it's tired but like the intention would have been ultimately very sympathetic it would have been you know this person needs to unlearn bigotry so here are a whole bunch of queer people to do emotional labor for him until he does that great i guess uh, but then, like, halfway through the movie, we just kind of abruptly shift into it being a historical piece instead. No, it's actually not a character drama piece. We're actually doing a history thing now. So this is actually about the Buyers Club and him using queer bodies to sell drugs to, to make money. And, and don't think about that too much, because before we can really get into, like, the moral implications of, like, using sick and dying people to make a profit out of, out of, suddenly now it's about the FDA and actually how they're really bad because AZT was really toxic and, and damaging and bad for people. So it's bad. And, what you know, like, there's just all of these weird beats where, like, I'm trying to make a character arc out of the, out of Woodruff, but, like, the movie wants to be both like a moral conversation about this 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 human person, a historical piece on like what he advocated, uh, a piece against the FDA and AZT, and a piece to like revel in the suffering of like people during the AIDS crisis. And like, if it picked one of these things, it would have been a highly problematic but like structurally pretty competent film. But because it tried to do four of them, like. It's just a mess. And I still stand that Rent is like an inferior film because they're basically doing the same thing, but just with less substance and more wibbly. Um, you know, I don't know. To be fair, to be fair, people who love Rent yeah. don't like the movie. So, <laughs> I mean, just throw yes, that that's out there. That, like, that is what I heard. The movie is particularly bad. I am not a fan of I am not a huge fan of Rent, but I respect Rent particularly for what it was at the time. But mm -hmm. at the same time, oh yeah, no, like don't worry, that is not even necessarily a hot take to say the movie of Rent sucked. Um, <laughs> they both did. They both did the 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 trans person dying from AIDS and going into that sweet goodnight uh, thing. So, yay! Nobody nobody died in. Angels in America, but like whatever. Okay. So, it, like, and even then, like, to me, once they got into this, the Buyers Club itself, it felt like I, I put it in my notes. It felt like they were trying to do queer Scarface, but they, <laughs> <laughs> just like, what is this movie? Like, I really maybe halfway through, I was just like, what is this movie? What am I looking at? Um, and It'd be a very different film if at the end Woodruff was like coked uh, out of his mind on peptide tea like trying to gun down the FDA agents like that would be a very different film I you know uh, having seen this film I'm here for that film <laughs> just fucking alright sure I, not um, to bring it back to like historical things too but one of the things that my partner who watched it with me commented on was that and their exact words were I don't understand straight humor um, there's a weird right there's like weird moments where they try to be funny and it doesn't usually work. But I was reading up on, um, I, I found an interview actually with Woodruff uh, from 92. Um, 
And he talked about um, going to get the interferon from the Japanese doctor and bringing it back. And we see it in the movie. He's like got his like cell, giant cell phone and he's like pretending to be a businessman. And he walks right through. Apparently, he, to- he told the story of actually doing that. And what he did was he packed it in um, the drugs in dry ice. And when he got to the airport, his briefcase was covered in condensation and smoking a little. So he took the drugs and some of the ice out and hid it in a locker. And then he went through customs and they were like, why do you have all this dry ice? And he was like, because I'm into dry ice. And they were like, everybody was like, what is this? And they were, they hassled him for a really long time, but they eventually let him through. He waited a bit, went back out and got the drugs and walked back through customs. And everybody was like, oh, it's the weird dry ice guy and just let him go. And I was like, where's that movie? Where's this like James Bond, like sneaky stuff? Like <laughs> they kind of try to do it with like the difference of him normally dressing like a rodeo guy and then like putting on a business suit or like dressing like a priest, which apparently is something that he actually did. There was also this bit where he talked about getting like special um, air shocks installed in his car so that the trunk wouldn't look heavy. Uh, when he went from the when we went uh, through the border in Mexico, and being uh, like sitting there, you know, and having the customs guy like asking questions, and just like he hears the car start to hiss, and the back of the car starts to go down a little bit, and he's like, "Oh no, are they going to notice?" And like the the like tension of like watching it sink and waiting to see, and like no one noticed, and he got away, and I was like. There's so much there, just like, you know, the bisexuality and like the, you know, the conflict that people actually had was there in history and they chose to do whatever weird, silly stuff that they actually did. Listen, Dallas Fires Club would be a much better movie if it was a bisexual mm. James Bond, yes. like drug heist, like that would have been really, really cool. And I'd be into that. Which I guess is what the book about the New York Buyers Club is about. And it's very much in that sort of tone. No, no, it's totally, like, honestly... I mean, like, just from a storytelling standpoint. The other thing is, why is Eve hanging out with Woodruff? Like, what? what I don't, oh I don't understand this. Like, <gasps> he stole her medical pad. Like, her pad of, of prescription, her prescription pad. Actually, can we can we talk about that moment for a moment, uh, for a moment? Because it's just like I mean, I'm not a medical professional, but I am in a profession where like your named memos, your like your signed written uh, stuff carries a lot of like weight and responsibility. And I found it like almost breaking of the, like the, my suspension of disbelief entirely in that one mo- one moment where she like brought it up. And she brought it up in the way that, like, you chide a yeah. five-year-old for, like, stealing dessert yeah. before dinner. And it's like, you took, you took my pad. And it's like, bitch, she could have gotten fucking, like, like, disbarred immediately. Like, if not arrested, if, like, it is a felony offense to, like... Yeah, forged prescriptions. You yeah. know, that's, like, genuinely terrible. Like... Uh, and she brought it up, like, she brought it up, like, you know, she's going to have to be in a meeting about this now, and it's going to be, like, an, an hour of her boss being, like, tisk tisk. you shouldn't do that, <laughs> like. So, you know, they want us to feel like he cares. Like, the, the movie clearly wants us to want him to win. Like, because by the end, he he gets some modicum of victory 
but they just keep like that. I'm, I'm thinking about that one moment where a kid comes in with 50 bucks and he says like, Nope, if you want to join the club, it's gotta be 400. And it's just like, literally this could be the moment. There were so many of this could be the moment where he softens. This could be the moment where he finally respects the community. This could be something. And it just is constantly hitting you over the head with he is never going to give a shit about the queer people in his life and the queer people who all started to take him in because they are dealing with this as well. And that is what is really the the betrayal of this movie to me is so much of it is we are a welcoming community because we are all dealing with this thing regardless of how you uh, identify regardless of your orientation you have your hiv positive and we are here for you and this movie and woodruff literally just took a giant shit all over them the only time I had any emotions other than incandescent rage in this entire film was when the two older gentlemen give him that house for free. And he thinks he's like haggling about how much he's going to rent. And they're like, no, like, just take it. We want to help. And I was like, that's it. That's the, that's the movie. Tell me their story. Tell me about that. And, you know, you could still have a variety of morally ambiguous characters. I mean, Woodruff himself said that, you know, he mostly started the buyers club in order to afford the drugs he needed. So like there's, there's, there's room to talk about self-interest and there's room to talk about the desperation that you're feeling when you're like, you know, facing this kind of death sentence and you will do anything and try anything. You know, it's not like we expect some kind of like altruistic angel who never thinks about themselves but it just, it just seems so, I just feel like they're relying on that cl American cliche that everybody loves of the sort of like, you know, charming Southern cowboy kind of type, or like they do it with like, you know, it's like the blind side, um, which Emmett also pointed out to me and my partner about like, it's that same kind of thing of like, look at the sort of like, sort of special charmingness uh, and the accent. And we, and it's just like, it's, it's a stereotype in and of itself that we kind of rely on to do the work for it. And I think that's why it's Matthew McConaughey. Like that's what he brings to a role. That's what we think of when we think of his, his character of that sort of like, he's an asshole, but he's like charming and he's got, you know, he's got that way of speaking. And, and I feel like rather than pu putting work into a story or putting work into a character, they just kind of rely on that. I like, honestly, I have to say I wasn't like, it's weird. I, I might just be numb to it because, like, law school is just, it kills your soul, so you just don't feel anything anymore. But, like, I wasn't, like, furious at it as much as it, you know, I, I just felt like we went through all of this much better and in much greater, like, detail in Angels in America, and that wasn't even, like, a historical piece on, like, you know, the failures of the government to like protect uh, or to handle the AIDS crisis, you know, that play had angels in it. So uh, v, v and I started talking about um, a little bit about the, the treatment of cis women in this movie as well. And in particular, V, you brought up a point about Eve and the relationship between Eve and Woodruff that is just like, I had that question too. What is the relationship? <laughs> Were they dating? Like, yeah, like, like they they had dates. 
they they like wined and dined which you know people can have dinner together made a big deal about that i mean he he gave her his mom's painting so clearly they're married now right (laughs) i mean like that's the thing though you don't like do that to just random people like what is the was he angling like they never really followed that to a satisfying point like was he angling to try and gain her trust so that he could use her prescription pad was he angling for some other reason was he actually interested in her like what is this nebulous what is what is this nebulous relationship i just feel like the movie's asking you to do all that legwork and and you kind of see the same thing with eve that you see with rayon with this idea that like this man is kind of sort of maybe helping I guess by you know get you know trying the drugs and do it. I know real buyers clubs did. I, I'm on the fence about whether or not in the world of the movie he helped, um, but like that they're both sort of doing that thing where they're kind of putting up with him because a women and femme people find assholes charming, which no, um, and also sort of like because of you know the work that he's doing like rayon's like well it's okay if you jokingly point guns at me and make comments about my body and possible sex changes and call me names and ignore me because you're providing this service to the community and that's important and eve's kind of the same way where even though she spends most of the time being like what you're doing is irresponsible and i don't like it and you stole my prescription pad and all that other stuff. Also, you know, the movie confirms that because at the end she starts distributing his pamphlets that AZT is bad um, and lowers the dosage in her own uh, trial patients. So it kind of like those moments I think are supposed to sort of act in lieu of actual character work. You're supposed to connect the dots and be like, oh, he was right. That's why she put up with him. Oh, he's kind of funny and charming. She likes that weird painting for some reason. Um, Honestly, what it strikes me as is, uh, it strikes me as like the curse of the straights, where like a lot of like straight writers seem to have a lot of trouble depicting men and women in any kind of platonic mm. relationship. So this one just kind of awkwardly has like sex tension in it because like, what else are there for men and women to talk about? So I guess they're maybe into each other. Yeah. Yeah. And like with Rayon as well, I think in, in sort of like, again, like there's, there's so much transphobia and homophobia in this idea that he has to constantly reinforce. Nope. Straight. Nope. Not into it. Oh, you're gross. Oh, I don't like you. Oh, I'm going to comment about your body and, and tear you down because how could someone who presents that way and a masculine straight man hang out together without that being an issue? You know, that, that he could, you know, even, you know, in the world of the movie where we accept that this is just a straight man, why couldn't he just have a regular relationship with someone who presents that way? And So we need to start talking about uh, Rayon because we have not really, we've talked about how cardboard cutout this character is, but like we really need to start talking about Rayon and Jared Leto who portrayed Rayon. Um, v, I know you had mentioned that there was uh, something that you really wanted to, to talk about with regards to Rayon. Um, yeah. Oh, like the um. Okay. Uh, shoot, you kind of caught me off guard here. That's totally um, fine. I, I apologize for doing that. I can I can no, talk you're, you're too because I have opinions. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I'm just more more than anything. I'm just annoyed because like um, 
one, I have a bit of a grudge against Jared Leto. Just, I, I think he's trash. Um, yeah. I heard all of the reports from like when he was on the set in Suicide Squad and sending dead rats to his co- co-workers, all that gross stuff. And it's like, I get it. You know, you want to make a deal about method acting. But like this, the interview that you sent me, um, like the Daily Show interview where he's talking about it, it just kind of like hammered home the point that like he just kind of actually like have sympathy for the trans community. It was like an excuse for people to point a camera at him so he can be like, look at that. I'm wearing a dress. This is wild. Ooh, I had to lose 40 pounds in three weeks. And, you know, so I could look pretty in a dress. Ha ha. And it's like, you know, dude, like, yeah. Say what you will about the Danish girl, and I did. You can watch yeah. that. Um, uh, I was in an angry place when that movie happened. Uh, whoops. Uh, but say what you will about it. You know, Eddie Redmayne clearly wanted to be on some level, like, pathetic and understanding of the trans community. And, you know, it's all laced with the problems that cishets have all the time. You know, Rayon's character just be going the AIDS crisis and literally dying of literal HIV and AIDS and like literally suffering because the government literally was not really helping them. No, their character arc had to be about looking pretty and wearing dresses and makeup and being upset that their dad said like they're a monster or something. And it had nothing to do with the actual point of the film. Their character was there to suffer and in the presence of Woodruff so that way we can see posthumously that he did actually care about her because he started causing this in the hospital so he must have cared or else he wouldn't have done that did we show you that yeah he did trust us he definitely did just to just to clarify there's a daily show interview that he was doing that Jared Leto was doing uh to promote the film and there's a little bit of information about the movie and the filming of the movie and the casting of the movie that I want to put forth as well. When they wrote the script and they created Rayon, uh, they initially wrote Rayon as a drag queen. And when they cast Jared Leto, they said, oh, he'd make a hot lady. Let's just make the character trans. But they didn't change any of the script for that. They literally hired Jared Leto and said, well, now your character's trans. Um, so with this interview from The Daily Show and the specific wording that he uses when he talks about the character, because they talk very little about the character, just about how he stopped eating to lose weight, which FYI, don't fucking do that. Um, but like that was most of what the interview was about. Uh, at about four minutes and 42 seconds in, he says, I play a... Well, you guys saw the clip, so I don't have to say, but now with that comment, like by not naming what, who, who your character is, and by saying like literally the only thing that the character is, is a person who is infected with AIDS and a person who is, is trans or in some way not like, even if not trans, because again, they don't use that word. They don't like state that word. Um, but the create, but the producers and writers, et cetera, et cetera, have talked about how they've made the character trans. Um, so because of that, we are making the decision. We are saying, yes, this character is potentially trans. Like, I would give him the benefit of the doubt that he just didn't want to choose a label and get it wrong. 
I would give him that benefit of the doubt if he wasn't such a major piece of shit throughout the rest of uh, not only not only later films like Suicide Squad, like a, a bunch of other things, but during the press junket and his acceptance speeches about the character for the Golden Globe and for the Academy Award. The Academy Award was a little bit better because he learned after he did the Golden Globe, he maybe should respect people <laughs> from a marginalized group that he is not a part of, but that he's portraying. Um, but yeah, like, so I do not give him the benefit of the doubt anymore on that, but that I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Um, and just to be clear, the movie itself was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor for Jared Leto, Best Original Screenplay, Hairstyling and Makeup, and Film Editing at the Academy Awards, and won Matthew McConaughey won for Best Actor, Jared Leto won for Best Supporting Actor, and uh, Ardwitha Lee and Robin Matthews won for Best Makeup and Hairstyling. I mean, I look, uh, I hate to continue to, like, give incredibly tepid devil's advocacy to this film like in a lot of ways it is a very competently filmed and edited movie like the cinematography is good McConaughey's performance is good if wildly historically inaccurate uh mm -hmm. Jared Leto did not deserve that because that was just not like I don't know. I hate to say this. Like, that just wasn't a trans person. Like, that wasn't... That was, like, uh, what cis people think that trans people would do, having never mm -hmm. talked to one. And it's, like, that same level of, like... Um, like... Like... I'm trying to put words to it, but there's this, like, weird history in, um, like, in media, especially in film and television, where, like, straight people can enact all of this horrific violence like verbal abuse physical abuse sometimes uh to like queer identified you know people gay people trans people whatever and like for a long time there was this history of those key characters often being portrayed by cishet men um going ooh you're feisty or ooh you know meow or like all of that like catty fake like you know the the danger the abuse the oppression is just kind of like part of the game of like being this identity because again this doesn't really come from a place of like real understanding and empathy of like what you're portraying you know you're using these identities to you know draw an audience in it's it's basically just buffalo bill again you know it's it's an interesting hook to be like oh god that person is different um and, you know, uh, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know, surprise, surprise. I feel a lot of conflation, too, with the weight loss and the I played a trans person. Because McConaughey, McConaughey lost a lot of weight, too, for the role. And I'm, I'm very, very against actors losing weight to actually look like that physical or starving. Especially, I don't think it should be a thing. Especially nowadays. Ever. Like, CGI that can absolutely... Like, yeah. I'm like, I don't do need that level of realism. Like, we don't pull people's teeth out when we do his goals. Like, it's fine. You can just tell me they look like they're starving, and I'll believe you. It's film. <laughs> and, and it's just so bad for you, and it, it promotes eating disorders in people. Like, it's disturbing to me first. But um, seeing, like, and, and now I didn't watch the clip you sent, Ashley, so I, I didn't know That's until true. just now. 
explained it. Um, and like, to I can feel Leto conflating the two things. Like, look at what I'm willing to do to my body for my art. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and that this idea that acting includes like starving yourself or like staying up all night or uh, torturing people because that's what your character does, which is not bad that acting is anyway. But it, it feels like the, it's like set dressing, mm-hmm. but like something you have to sacrifice for. So it's it's noble and it's good. And, and now there's so many cry scenes in this movie where we can just watch actors tear themselves apart and then we'll go, that's good acting. And it's vulnerability and it's it's a lot of um, a lot of things, but it's not, not really acting and it's not it's not because like it, it, Rayon isn't a character. It's just Plato putting on a look. And I really feel like there's a lot of equating of that sort of like, and I starved myself, and I wore a dress, and I let them put that you know makeup on me, so I was ugly. I was an ugly lady, you know. Mm-hmm. And he can't walk in heels. I mean, you which, you brought it up in yeah, minutes, but which admittedly I, I did bring it up in my notes. But the the <laughs> oh, Cyrus, I'm glad I'm glad he made his point. Uh, I'm gonna... Surprisingly, I'm gonna click record again, and I'm just gonna get through this. So, uh, especially with the heels thing, because I know, especially if he's starving himself, he's not physically able to move very well, and uh, especially if weakened by a disease like AIDS. Sure, I can, I can understand why maybe this character can't walk in heels. I can understand that. At the same time, a trans person, a drag queen, someone who is. Uh, AMAB and then has to and then is is walking and then is walking in heels poorly is a trope that gets used against trans women. There are a lot of people that cannot walk in heels, and I respect that and I understand that. And again, there are a lot of reasons why this character <laughs> see, like that's what I mean. But at the same time, it's like from a we are making a film perspective, having a AMAB person portraying femininity it, with their inability to walk in heels is a major joke red flag. Oh. Oh, <laughs> We're gonna wrap up. I'm gonna. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, this is. I can't believe I, I spent I spent thing being like, oh, I hope I hope my net doesn't cut out. I hope my net doesn't do all of this. And then like the monkey's paw like curled and 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 cursed Silas instead okay. with with my internet curse. I'm so sorry. I did this to you. So we're gonna <laughs> I'm gonna minimize all of this so that we can get to an ending uh, because yes. I don't know I don't know if I can edit twelve clips. Uh, okay. <laughs> So we got to start ending this. Um, I'm going to ask the questions that we always that we always ask at the end of every episode. Uh, is it transphobic and was it enjoyable? Let's start with was it enjoyable? I think people have probably figured out by now. Uh, Silas, do you want to start? It was not enjoyable. I don't think there was a single aspect, including the the non homophobic and transphobic parts. Just pacing wise, like. The only thing that it does is it makes me want to go learn more about buyers clubs. So I'll give it that. It make it, it inspired me to go read up and learn, but just like as a piece of cinema, it was really boring. I kept checking to see if it was over yet. <laughs> Same. It was like how I've been watching this movie for a million years. Help me. Why is it two hours? It could be a ninety-minute movie and be fine-ish, ish. Sorry, V. 
you're up. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm also going to say no, but I'm going to give it a soft no, just because like, uh, again, my, my most recent point of comparison was Rent, and I had an actively worse time with Rent, uh, the film, just because like, it, you know, it, it was just way more transparent in like using AIDS as like an easy point of like, you know, oh, you know, the, the tragedy, the pain, but it's really about, you know, art and, and the man and, you know, so like this one, at least like there was some moments in it where like we could actually see like where the failings of the government is like in brief moments. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, if this gets straight people to pay attention to the aid stuff, you know, fine. Like, uh, Again, I'm I'm desensitized, so like, who cares? Uh, a soft no. So on my end, um, I really liked it in the beginning. I was really pulling for it, and then by maybe the second, third, maybe like where where we might say Act Two was, I just fuck this movie. No, like you do not need to subject yourself to this movie. No one has talked about it except when Jared Leto becomes an asshole and ruins everyone else's fucking fucking movie franchises. Now he's in Tron. It's like you're gonna kill Tron too, buddy. You gonna murder Tron? Thanks, Jared Leto. All right. Um, is, he's already gonna be Morbius, the living vampire, which is my favorite Spider-Man character. All right. Uh, come come join Ashley as she screams about nerd shit later. Uh, so the next question that we always ask. Next podcast, is it nerd shit? Is it nerd shit? No. Is it transphobic? Uh, <laughs> you start this? Yes. Like, yeah. Big surprise. I, I know. Like, controversial hot take. Uh, yeah. What? Yes. Homophobic, <laughs> transphobic, uh, hates women, racist, all of them really ticks all the boxes. Yeah, for for being in Dallas, like uh, there was like maybe like what like two black people. Yeah, and they had like three lines between them, and then the rest were white. Yeah, there were two Hispanic. <laughs> guys one of whom gets injured on the job site and the other one is the orderly who sells him the azt you know good stuff okay. yeah uh on my end absolutely without a doubt uh there are so many moments that they could have figured out there are so many moments that they could have done something with and i know that leto hired or the studio hired calpurnia adams to work with leto uh, and Calpurnia Adams is a uh, controversial, even amongst trans folk, uh, trans actor. Uh, much respect to her. She's been able to break into the Hollywood system as a trans woman in a time where that was just not only unheard of, it just didn't, it pretty much didn't exist. So respect to her. But at the same time, she has had a lot of hot takes on it as the person that helped coach him uh, that are very, uh, that have not been good hot takes in my own personal opinion. Um, and you can look those up and look up the responses to hers from the advocate. I'll put the tr I'll put the links in the description. This was bad. This is a bad portrayal that got, but because it ticked all of those boxes for the cishet people in the academy, it was looked at as this amazing thing because again, it played to 
what they expect and a real nuanced portrayal, a real, a real nuanced piece would have been ignored. Yeah. Watch Angels in America. It's pretty good. You know, Roy Cohn is in it. I mean, not the real person, but that's a character in it. And, you know, he's an asshole, but like, like they do something with that. Like they do something with it. So Silas, tell people how to find you if they, if you want them to find you. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can find me, uh, on social media, that Psy guy, it's S Y is in Silas. And you can also find my work on tour.com. Fantastic. V, tell people how to find you if you want them to find you. Um, so you can find me uh, at my YouTube channel, which is called Hearts and Minds. I do video essays, mostly about media criticism. Uh, occasionally, um, I'm unfortunate enough to do stuff about politics. Uh, yikes. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at uh, VVAladren. That's V-I-V-I-A-L-A-D-R-E-N. Sometimes I tweet. Isn't that nifty? Right. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Lucretia Deerfor, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A-D-E-A-R, and then the number four. Is it transphobic? Also has its own Twitter at Is it transphobic? And guess what? We now have an Instagram because I'm finally in the year 2005 or something. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. If I don't know what it but the but uh, yeah, you can go to at Is it transphobic for our Instagram as well as well as Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Is it transphobic. We are, for just a dollar a month, more if you'd like, but for a dollar a month, you get the uh, you get these episodes a week early. You get interviews with exclusive, interesting folks, some of them trans, some of them not, and just dealing with gender stuff. Uh, you'll get that a month early. So, yeah. Thank you both so much for being here. I'm sorry with all the technical issues. Uh, it's been very funny. We've been racing to make sure Silas is able to be able to hear <laughs> <laughs> The other one we recorded went perfectly, no problems. This one was on fire. <laughs> Happy fourth anniversary to you. Yay, four years. Woo! Yay! Thank you Thank so you much, all. Ashley. Yes. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you both. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com.